We end there with that little line that says, we'll show him what it means to be a family. Now, I don't know if there's ever been more loaded words that have been spoken. Show him what it means to be a family. Now, that may mean that you have each other's back. Maybe in your family, your experiences, when it's, what it means to be a family is to care for each other. Maybe it means taking advantage of one another. I don't know if that's what it meant in your family. Being a family means all kinds of different things. In my family, what, when it was shown to be what it meant to be in my family, it meant that if anything was broken, you could fix it nine times out of ten with duct tape. Anybody have a family like that, that you can fix things with duct tape? We had one of those old tent trailers when I was growing up. And I remember we were lying one night, and it was raining, and I could feel water just dropping right through the canvas that was covering the little bedroom containers. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm extremely wet <laughs> after, after that rain. Is there anything we can do about that? And he said, of course there's something we can do about that, Rick. And he went and he got the duct tape and we put the duct tape on that, on that tent trailer and that, that, that fixed that. And then as we were driving later on in that trip, the van seats, we had one, a 40 Conaline van. Anybody driven in a 40 Conaline van? You know, those are, they're not minivans. Those are full size. Those are the ones you watch the gas go just kind of steadily down and down and down. Well, anyway, we had, they had those captain's chairs in the back seat. They didn't have the bench seats. And I told my dad, dad, this one's a little loose. It's kind of wobbly as I'm driving. Don't worry, Rick, I got the duct tape in the back. And he taped that sucker on there so it was a little, it was a little less wobbly. At, at our house, there were shelving units that were taped up really well with duct tape. If there was a broken toe or a broken finger, we didn't need to go to the doctor because we had duct tape. We could fix broken toes. We could fix broken digits. He could fix somebody's feelings with duct tape. My dad was that good anything no just kidding and I don't know I don't know what it meant to be in what it means to be a family in your family maybe it meant you're a leaf fan maybe it meant and I'm sorry for you if that's what that's what it meant maybe maybe it meant you have no choice with what you're going to do with your life you are going to university post-secondary education and you're becoming a uh, a, a doctor or, or you're becoming uh, a store owner or set, you're going to follow in the family business. Maybe in your family it means you have to pretend to love grandma's meatballs or something like that. But before we get going this morning, just take a second with somebody around you and share with them what it meant to be in your family. What, what was presumed, if you're going to be in this family, it means this. So just share with, share with the people around you one thing it means to be in your family. There's a lot of laughing going on. That's good. That means we're taking... This is therapeutic, right? We're laughing at our families. We're, we're, having, this, we're having this time. We can get some stuff out there. Well, to be in a family means that certain things are prepackaged for you. They're handed to you. They're uneditable. And to be in Joseph's family, who that's the person we're going to study this morning in, as we continue on in our series, Life Rhythms, we're going to study Joseph's family. And it meant that if you mess with your brothers, you might end up having your death faked and being sold as a slave. And now you thought your family was rough. Could you imagine being in this guy's family? And if we do a little of the back history on Joseph out of the Bible, he was the youngest of 12 brothers. And he was born, Jacob had married multiple women. That was the custom in, in Israel at the time, or not Israel, they weren't a nation yet, but the custom in that area at the time was to multiple, have uh, multiple wives. And he was born to Jacob's favorite wife, his dad. He was treated special by his father. He had a dream that all of his brothers would eventually become his servants. His 11 older brothers would bow down to him. And he, he, he felt compared 
compelled to share that dream with his older brothers. And that wouldn't exactly endear himself to those 11 older brothers who looked at this little pipsqueak and said, so you're going to be in charge of us, are you? So there was a little bit of this rivalry going on. And, and there was a point in time where they just had enough of Joseph and they schemed to kill him. But the eldest brother said, you know, maybe we shouldn't uh, abs- actually kill him. Maybe we should just take a little bit easy and, and we'll just put him in a pit and then we'll figure out what to do with him. But as he was in this pit, he was sold as a slave. And when he was sold as a slave, he went off and he, uh, he, was, he was serving one individual and his name was, uh, name was Potiphar. And while he was serving Potiphar, Potiphar's wife started to like Joseph and thought he was a good looking guy. And Joseph, not wanting to get himself in trouble, resisted her when she was coming on to him. And so because she was so upset, she accused him of rape. So now this is a slave who was accused of rape. Well, you know, you can imagine what happened to him. He was thrown in jail. (laughs) But as he's in jail, he becomes this trusted jail worker who was known to hear from God and could interpret dreams. And because of this special ability, he's brought before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, where he was imprisoned. And on Joseph's advice, on the interpretation of this Pharaoh's dream about possibility of a drought coming, he said, you know what, you should save one-tenth or no, one-seventh of, of all the produce that's collected in Egypt this year. This is going to be a year like you've never harvested before. And for the next seven years, there's going to be drought and all the lands are going to be just starving for water and starving for food. But if you're wise right now and hold back enough for the next seven years, then we'll be okay here in Egypt. And as uh, uh, because this dream seemed to be make sense to the Pharaoh. He put Joseph in charge of this project. And this man accused of rape, man who was in jail, man who was sold as a slave by his brothers, he saved the nation of Egypt from going into the same fate that every other surrounding nation was going through over, over seven years. And his brothers, who were experiencing starvation and experiencing, they, were, they, were, they weren't able to continue to, to eat. And everybody around knew that Egypt had food. And Egypt was being okay. So his brothers come to Egypt to beg for food. And who do they meet? They meet Joseph. But they didn't recognize Joseph because he was dressed as an Egyptian. And he would have had the shaved head and he would have had the head pieces and things like that. And as he finds his brothers coming to beg from, from him for food, asking for mercy, what kinds of feelings would you have going through your head as the brothers that turn their back on you? We just saw, I mean, this is an interpretation. They probably didn't actually sing and dance when they had the little baby boy. But, they, but to be in a family usually means to take care of the younger ones, to watch out for them. And they sold him. They faked his death. What kinds of feelings would go through your head? Anger? You might be sick to your stomach a little bit. You might have these feelings of revenge and even a disbelief that they couldn't recognize you even though you had some, your hair was different and your face maybe looked a little bit different. He has all these feelings going on and he looks at them and he begins to mess with them a little bit. He says, he says, you know what? Go back and prove to me that you are who you say you are because I believe that your father has another youngest son. And uh, so they went and they got his youngest son who would have been Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, who was also born to the same mother. And then when they come back, he, he plants something in one of Benjamin's bags and says, are you, are you trying to steal from me? I'm going to throw you all in jail. And he's, he's having these struggles of, of, should I have revenge? Should I get angry at them? Should I get upset? And we're going to pick up the story here. We just needed to do that backstory because it's about like a 12, 
chapter long portion of scripture and I didn't think you wanted to be here till 3.30 this afternoon. So that just skipped about two hours of reading. But now here we are, Genesis 45 verses 1 through 15. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a copy of the Bible and you want to borrow one, just slip your hand up and our ushers will make sure you get a copy uh, to uh, borrow this morning. You can just leave it on the seat when you're done. Or you can always look online on our U version. Just search Portico or Milton and you'll find our text there. Genesis 45, 1 and 15. Here's what it says. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for the next five, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. And I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and everything you've seen. Bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw, check this out, he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. What an amazing story of family reconciliation that goes on here. And Joseph able to put the past beyond and see things from a different perspective. And you know, some of us sitting in the room here, we can sympathize with Joseph. We know what it means to walk around every day with hurt from our family. And we've carried it here. We've carried it into our, our ongoings, into our, even into our future. We're going to carry hurt and pain we've experienced from our family. Others of us, you couldn't imagine being this upset with your family because you felt maybe more love and support. But regardless of your experience with your family, we want to look at how the impact of our past and our family has more influence on us than we may give credit for. And this is our series, Life Rhythms, and we're looking at patterns of emotionally healthy spirituality. But this morning, we're going to look at how we break the power of the past and how sometimes we have to go back into our past to actually move forward. And last week we looked at some of, the, some of this, we kind of introed it and how our family influences us and how we have the debate of nature or nurture and there's things like our hair color, our height and our weight and our birth order. These even commonly held opinions of you in your family, these are things you can't really control. But this week we want to dig a little deeper and see how, you know, even our whole understanding of who God is changes based on the family that you and I grew up in. 
There's a doctor by the name of Dr. Albert Passo, and he's married to Dr. Diane, formerly Boyden, and now she's uh, Dr. Diane Boyden Passo. And they developed a theory, and then they developed a whole therapy based on this theory. It's called the, the PBSP, the Passo Boyden System Psychomotor, and it attempts to look at systemic structures that you and I have in our lives, and then they work towards health from stress, anxiety, depression, even addiction, just by looking at certain structures that you and I either received or didn't receive in our life. And we've got a slide. Andrew, just throw up the the slide. This is what their whole theory is based on, that each human needs these five things in the very infant stages, the beginning stages of their life. We need a place. We need um, something when, when we come into the world, do we feel like I belong or do we feel like we weren't unwanted? And whether we experience that kind of security of our place being that, we're, that we do have a spot preserved for us, that can really change how we view the world. Whether we were nurtured, can we trust the people around us who were closest to us to care for our basic needs? We want to see that, it, was there a support network that as we began to grow, was there a network of people that were around us that we could, that we could count on? Was there protection? Was I kept safe from negative or harmful life-altering experiences? Some of us were, some of us weren't. And the last thing that, that is required in the beginning stages of our life is limits. Were we taught to understand that there are healthy boundaries and there is only so far that we can go? And what Pesso and Boyden teach is that if any one of these five structures in a person's life is compromised, their ability to experience emotional health and what we would understand, our, our ability to, to experience emotionally healthy spirituality would be extremely compromised if something was missing. And if we look through this list of five things, is there anything in your life, just as you reflect for a moment, was there anything in your life, whether it's your place, the nurturing, the support you receive, the protection, or the understanding of limitations, were any of those compromised in your growth as, a, as an individual? And you know, this week, we're, we're going to look at it this morning, we're going to look at it in our CLGs, those are our community life groups, and we, we're meeting here on Wednesday nights. If you're not in a group, come on out Wednesday nights, there's stuff for your kids, we, we meet here, or if, if not, you're going to have a chance in the ser- after the service in the gym to connect with some of our CLG leaders. This is stuff we're going to dig deep into this week and really spend a little more time looking at some of the things, we're going to use a little tool called uh, 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 Genogram or Junogram, we're going to look at that in a moment. But the first thought this morning, if you're filling in your blanks, is that we're gonna ident- we need to identify the impact of your heritage. And this had a huge impact on poor Joseph. Prior to this reunion with his brother, Joseph has a child, okay? And, and how did you decide to name your first child? If there's any parents in the room, how did you come up with a name? Was it just, was it like, did you have a contest and everybody got to submit a name and you chose the one that you liked the best? Was it your grandfather's name or was it just a name you thought really sounded kind of cool? Well, Joseph, he took it as a chance to express how anguished and devastated he felt about his past. Look, look what he said in Genesis 41 and 51 when his first child was born. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, which means cause to forget. And he said, it is because God has made me forget about all my trouble and all my father's household. And it's obvious that his immediate family issues 
were weighing on him. And you can track, track all this stuff back. And this weekend in our CLGs, like I said, we're going to use this tool called the genogram. And Andrew, just throw up Joseph's genogram. We just kind of filled it out this morning. And what a genogram does is look back at, at what issues were in your, maybe your parents or maybe your aunts and uncles or maybe your parents' parents. Well, if we, if we look at this in Joseph's life, Joseph's brothers tricked their dad because of jealousy, right? They were jealous that he cared, that they cared for Joseph more. His dad, Jacob, tricked Esau, if you know the Bible story, Jacob and Esau. Remember, he tricked him into giving up his birthright. And there was jealousy between the two of them because of a favored wife of their father. Begin to sound familiar? Jealousy because of, of a favored wife. And it doesn't stop there. If you go back, uh, Isaac... Jacob's dad was tricked into marrying Leah and Rachel, and there were lies between those two. And of course, if you go back even a generation further, you've got Isaac's father, Abraham, who lied about his wife's identity to Pharaoh. He manipulated uh, the plan that God had for him, so he he had had a child with Sarah's uh, maidservant, Hagar, and they had Ishmael, and then there's sibling rivalry right there. In every level of Joseph's life, he's got all this stuff going on. It had been passed down generation after generation after generation. And if you think about those five structures, Joseph was not protected. Joseph was not nurtured. Joseph felt like he had a place to some degree from his father and his mother, but maybe not from his brothers. Look at all the stuff that's going through Joseph's life. And as a Christian, we understand that it's not just patterns, but it's actually a, a generational sin thing that can get passed down And the prophet Jeremiah quoted this Hebrew teaching in Jeremiah 31 and 29. The parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This isn't just a a theory that we study in sociology. This is a scriptural principle that when we begin to look back at our family and in the generations, there are things that get passed down that you and I deal with not of our own doing because of what's been handed to us. And so many people today are trying to deal with issues, struggling to make life work out because of stuff that's been passed down and they've inherited. How many of you have ever logged on to Ancestry.com? Just a moment. Yeah, a few of us have logged on. And we've got Andrew. I think we've got a picture of, of that on there. We're, 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 we're curious, aren't we? We want to know who's in our history. And when God established Israel, his covenant included the fact that all the things in our past, whether they be blessings or curses, get passed down generation by generation. This is a wonderful tool that we can make use of. But look at in in Deuteronomy 28 and 1. This is the Lord speaking through Moses to Israel. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And for the next 13 verses in Deuteronomy, he lists things like, you'll have health, um, your country will prosper, your families will get along and have unity. And then look at verse 15. If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And there's this commonly held image that we use in psychology of an iceberg And it reminds us that only the tip of the iceberg shows, and then there's this giant piece underneath that is is, um, actually waiting and all this stuff that's there. And the stuff that we see in our lives is actually only the tip 
of the iceberg. And whether it's an emotion like, like pride or anger or, depress, or depression that, that reveals itself, that causes issue in relationship, we try and knock off the tip of the iceberg. Andrew, do we have the picture of that iceberg there? And we don't have the picture of the iceberg, okay. Um, we try and knock off the tip of the iceberg, but there's this giant thing underneath with a much bigger issue. And we could be sitting in church here today feeling like, you know, I have a difficult time believing in God. I have a difficult time trusting that there's a God that knows me, that cares about me, that actually understands who I am. Or we may be sitting here thinking, you know what, I don't, I don't know why there's an issue in my life. Like I said, anger, pride, whatever it may be. Why do I lose my temper so quickly? I don't mean to lash out. I'm just trying to protect myself. How do I fix this? We see in scripture, sometimes we have to go back first to go forward and we have to identify the impact that our heritage may have on us. Well, let's go further. We need to invest in the journey then of reconciliation. If our past has an impact on us, we have to go back and reconcile that. Reconciliation is a spiritual endeavor as well as a practical one. We can't separate out our lives. It's always intermixed. Emotionally healthy spirituality requires us to deal with the stuff that's handed down to us from our families before we'll ever be satisfied in life. Think about this. Joseph was in charge of the number one nation in the world, the number one worldwide power. Joseph was running the country. Joseph had a family. Joseph was doing well by any metric that you could possibly put up and say, what does it mean to be successful? Business, family, health. He had it. And when his brothers walk into the room, his brothers who are begging for food and starving, what happens to Joseph? He breaks down. He, gets, he, he, he cries out. He starts dealing with feelings of revenge. All of that comes rushing back in. You know why? He had never reconciled his past. He had just moved on from it. He just imagined, you know what? If I just honor God where I am, if I just move on with my life, I'll be okay. He never went back first. He had no reason to forgive them. He didn't even have any reason to identify himself because they didn't recognize him. The easiest thing would have been to say, sorry, desert nomad wanderers, go back out into where you came from and fend for yourself. Our country was smart enough to put aside food, you weren't smart enough, goodbye. And they would have never known that it was Joseph and they would have never contested because how are they going to protest against the most powerful man in all of Egypt when they just are tent dwellers out in the middle of the wilderness. But Joseph recognizes he would never be good with God. He would never be good with himself unless he reconciled what happened with his siblings. Look at Genesis 45, verses 4 and 5. We read this earlier. He said, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God had sent me ahead of you. And he takes this horrible thing that happened to him, this big wrong, and he characterizes it as something God had a greater purpose for. God sent me through all that stuff in order that he could use me today. At the very least, he said, God was using this terrible situation. I don't know if I could say the bad stuff that has been handed to me was God's gift to me. (laughs) Maybe I'm not quite there. I don't know if you're quite there. But at the very least, we can look at it and say, the bad stuff that's been handed down through our family, whether intentional or unintentional, 
God can use. God can leverage for a greater purpose later on in our life. What an amazing ability Joseph has to own the hurt that his brothers gave him as something that God was going to use or give to him. What kinds of things prevent you and I from offering this kind of forgiveness, from going through this kind of pathway of reconciliation? Well, pride, of course, will say, I'll forgive when they admit they made the mistake, or when they forgive me, I'll forgive them. Or maybe it's hurt. It's like, you know what? I haven't dealt with that yet, and I'm not ready to deal with that. And when I do, then maybe I'll go down this path of reconciliation. Maybe it's just justice. They don't deserve to be forgiven. They don't deserve my... They don't deserve me humbling myself so that it's all good. And these are all valid, good reasons. And those are good ways to remain in a state where the past has power over us and looms over our present. As long as we hold on to our rights, we'll never be able to break the power of the past. Look at Matthew six fourteen and 15. It's a spiritual issue as well. If you don't forgive others of their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Paul said in the same thing in Colossians 3 and 13, bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, as we were studying this and we were preparing, if you don't know, we do prepare all these messages together. So it was Pastor Jeff and Pastor Doug and I and Pastor Rivers, we were preparing this week. And it was interesting to note that the reconciliation was also in Joseph's past. If you look at Joseph's genogram, there was jealousy and there was deceit. There was also reconciliation. Years before Jacob and Esau, Jacob had stolen Esau's birthright, meaning he would be the head of the family moving on and on. And he had deceived him to get that. But actually there's this beautiful moment of reconciliation where Jacob, this is Joseph's father, goes out to meet his brother whom he had deceived in the middle of the desert. And he hears that Esau is coming with hundreds of warriors and men alongside him. So what do, you, what do you suppose Jacob was assuming Esau was coming to do with 400 men after he had stolen the birthright, after he had taken his place? So Jacob freaks out. He's like, what am I going to do? And he spends a night with God. And he says, Lord, I need you to bless me. This is the moment where, where Jacob meets God. He says, I'm not going to let you go, God, until you bless me. And there's this picture, whether it was literal or whether it was figurative, where Joseph wrestles with an angel. And the angel says, let me go. He says, no, you got to bless me. I have a very big meeting coming up tomorrow morning with my brother and 400 people and they may kill me. I need you now, God. And the angel touched his hip and they said, Joseph walked with a limp or Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And he said, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel, which is where we get the name Israel, because you wrestled with God and you've won. And when he wins, he goes and he faces his brother Esau. And if you don't know the story, you've got to go back and read it in Genesis this week. But he goes out and he lays himself down humbly in front of Esau. And he sends gifts out and he says, take these. I'm sorry, brother. I've wronged you. And Esau laughs and says, did you think I was coming to harm you? I was coming to welcome you with my entire clan and show you I've forgiven you. And this reconciliation goes on. These two brothers who had no reason to forgive each other when they understood who they were with God, were able to reconcile with each other. And here's the thing. The people who have gone through a work of reconciliation, they know this. You'll never be as free as you will be when you learn to let go. 
You'll be able to love God and love other people so much more with so much greater freedom when you are able to let go of the wrong that you've been handed to you, the wrong that you've done nothing to deserve. When we hold on to it, it has power over us. When we let it go, we have the freedom. When we invest in that journey of reconciliation, and it is a journey, and it's not easy, but it's worth investing. It's worth putting the time and effort into it. And you may be sitting in church this morning feeling justified in being hurt and upset with your family, and you may be. But when you forgive, you'll experience forgiveness. When you prioritize feeling free over feeling justified, hurt will no longer rule your life. It's only then that you'll be able to start to recognize that you have a new heritage that's available to you. And that's our last point. Our last fill in the, bl- of the blank. Interpret your story from God's perspective. And as, as Pastor Jeff and I, he's sharing the message this morning in Mississauga. As we prepared, Pastor Jeff is going to share a message about how he was adopted and he understands a brand new heritage. And Amanda and I understand this at a very personal level personal level as well when we adopted our daughter hope we understand this every day on a natural level hope came into the world and she didn't receive those five structures that these two doctors say she needs to be successful in life and you and i necessarily didn't receive those five structures as well as we should have And just because mom or dad or whomever raised you didn't give you those five structures, it doesn't mean that you can't be spiritually healthy this morning. Because you and I have received a new heritage. We have a Father in heaven that says, if you let it go, if you're willing to say, Lord, it's not about me. Thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for adopting me into your family. We have a new heritage where we receive a place, where we receive protection, where we receive nurturing, where we understand limits. We get all, this is the wonderful thing about the Bible. It's funny when we get new discoveries from doctors and psychology and science. It's like they figured out the thing that the Bible's been telling us for 6,000 years. And he's saying that this is what we need in a family. We have it if we understand the family of God. And that's why we know that, that, that hope, and Pastor Jeff knows, it's not about what we can provide. It's that can we show hope, her heritage from her heavenly father. Here's what it said in Genesis 19 and 20. Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done now in saving many lives. And ladies and gentlemen, your family doesn't get to write the final piece of your story. I'm going to invite our worship team back this morning. Your family has an influence on who you are and who you've become up to this point today. But your heavenly father writes the conclusion. Adoption is not an earthly thing. It's actually what each of us is invited into to experience through the miracle of salvation. Jesus came so that every one of us in this room, listening to the message online, would understand that we have an invitation to be a part of a greater family. Jesus died to invest in the work of reconciliation between the Father and you and I as individuals in order that we would receive the heritage laid out before us. Galatians 4 and 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And listen, this morning is not meant as a morning to minimize the real pain you and I walk around with. It's meant to allow 
us to see that scripture validates the idea of brokenness in our family. Scripture, the, the scriptures say, I know you're broken. I know it wasn't fair. And I know it hurts. And there's important work to identify these issues. And we do that through therapy. We do that through prayer. We do that through what we're going to do in our CLGs this week. We do it through our own humility to do the work to get healthy. But it's also meant to remind us that these broken experiences are not what we put our hope in. That no matter what we face, when we go back and look at it, we can go forward in the confidence knowing that the Holy Spirit has a new heritage for us through our Father. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. Now this, now have this shining in our hearts. We ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing a great treasure. And this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We are going to sing that song that we sang earlier this morning as we close, and it's going to be an opportunity to respond. I don't know how you walked in here. I don't know if you walked in here believing in God. I don't know if you walked in here. This is all brand new to you. It doesn't matter. The offer is the same to all of us all the time. If you'd humble yourself and say, Lord, I need your heritage. I need acceptance from you. I need a place in your family. As we sing this song, this can be your opportunity to respond. I'm just going to ask that we would stand. And this morning, whether you want to find a place just alone quietly in the seats Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. If you'd like somebody to pray with you this morning, we're going to have some people around the front and we'll pray with you. If this is something you need some, some support with, that's what a family's about. <laughs> so we'll pray with you this morning. Or maybe you want to be alone. As the team begins to lead, would you find a way to say, Lord, I need a place in your family. I need your heritage and your gift this morning. Holy Spirit, we believe that in those moments as we sang these words, you did some amazing things. You set people free in, a, in, in an instant, in a moment. God, we believe that everything we do is our journey with you. It's instantaneous and it's progressive, Lord. That whatever happened in the instant here, I pray you give us wisdom to know how to act as we go forward. Holy Spirit, with the same feeling, the same presence that's in us now, carry out as we walk out of these walls, Lord God. If there's a phone call that has to be made this afternoon, Lord, help us to pick up the phone, not type out an email or a text, God. To pick up the phone and say, I need, to, I need to come talk. I need to forgive. I need, I need to connect. Lord, if it's something that we're still journeying with, I pray you help us find the right supports, Lord, that w- although you did it and you set us free and you've, you've, you brought us to a place where we're going to invest in that journey, Lord, of reconciliation, I pray you help us walk it out with the right people in place, the right supports, Lord, and we do it all to receive your heritage to receive the new life, the new protection, the new family that you've brought out for us. And we thank you so much for that, Lord. God, help us every day to be reminded that we don't do this alone. We were never designed to do it alone. We were designed to do it in family, in a context of, of people journeying alongside each other. God, I thank you for our family. I thank you for Portico as, as, as a church, all the campuses, but as one church. God, we even thank you for beyond... We are, we are just one church. We're all your brothers and sisters, Lord. So for every 
we're all your kids. We're all brothers and sisters worldwide as your church meets today, God. We thank you for the support and the love that we feel. God, help us act that way always, favoring our brothers and sisters, caring for them, looking out for them, Lord. God, thank you for the privilege it is to be in your family and, and for the opportunity just to be challenged through your word this morning to live differently than the world lives, to live differently than we would if, if we didn't have you in our life, God. And we thank you so much, and we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.